and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to another Prophecy Girls bonus episode. I'm really looking forward to this one, Kara. We are covering the unaired Buffy pilot that came out in 1996. It was never meant to be like presented to the public, but someone leaked it and you can watch it on YouTube and it's 25 minutes long. And it is so fascinating to watch now that we've covered most of the show. Yes, but but just to be clear, for legal reasons, neither Steph nor I watched this pilot on YouTube. Wink. Wink. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly didn't just press play on a YouTube channel and watch it away for free. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to go through very much like we did the original pilot or the aired pilot i'm gonna go through scene by scene but we're not gonna you know get into the nitty-gritty of the dialogue we're just gonna point out things that we think is interesting then we're going to discuss it as a whole at the end of the summary yes also i rewatched welcome to the hellmouth and the harvest last night Um, so as we go through the scenes i can kind of point out as best i can remember i didn't make any notes because i'm cara Uh, hi I'm the problem, it's me. Um, but I can point out it's kind of some of the largest differences between this pilot and what we actually ended up getting with the first episode. Yeah, and I can go based on my memory. <laughs> and also, I, I just want to say, I'm really excited that we get to do this. Um, we've been talking about this since the beginning when we we're like, let's do bonus episodes. Obviously, we have to do the, un- the unaired pilot eventually. I'm excited that we're here because it feels like a fun way to almost do a do-over of our coverage of the pilot episode because I think any other podcaster that listens to us understands that, you know, your first couple podcast episodes uh, are never your best quality, right? Like you have to get into the groove, you're figuring out your editing and what your what your vibe is going to be. So like when I think about our season one, uh, like the first bit of our season one episodes when we covered the first season... I'm like, mm, not our best quality. So this kind of feels like a fun little, little do-over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never listened to those episodes since they aired. So, you know, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I mean, not, we're always great. You and I are always on point. <laughs> always hilarious. But we were finding our footing with each other, right? We were still trying to figure yeah. out what the podcast was going to be. Um, and we were finding our rhythm and we were figuring out the format and, you know, we've, yeah, we've settled into something that's true of any TV series, you know? Um, I like to think that we settled in much faster than Buffy did. (laughs) Yeah, we can confidently say that we did. I would say by episode six and seven of the first season, you and I found our footing. But anyway, it doesn't matter anymore because we're erasing the first couple episodes and we're doing it with this unaired episode. It's going to be great. We're not actually doing that, people. <laughs> when we tell people to start listening to the podcast, we'll say, we'll say, start with the bonus episode of the unaired pilot. 
<laughs> All right. So um, just a little preview into what we're about to watch. Again, this was not meant to be aired on TV. This little presentation, we'll call it, was something that Joss Whedon put together. I believe he funded it, funded it himself. He wrote the script. Did he, he really? Apparently. Appar- I did a little research and that is what I learned. Um, he produced it. He directed it. He wrote it. And then the idea of this 25-minute pitch was to send to all of the networks and um, get some interest so that they would put more funding into it and then they would do the actual pilot later. So this is always meant to be just a little sneak peek. You must have got some funding from Fox. Um, it got like, tw- yeah, 20th Century definitely like backed him up. But apparently a lot of it was was funded by him. I That's- mean, that yeah, that part doesn't surprise me that he kicked in his own money. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we could talk about kind of TV pilot production and how that has probably changed in the last couple of decades. Yeah, yeah. So that that's why this seems a little bit um, clunky. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. But again, this is just supposed to be a glimpse, right? It's supposed to be a little glimpse into the idea of Buffy. So let's get started, right? Let's open up on the same scene that the aired pilot opens up on, which is Sunnydale High School. Except it's not called Sunnydale High School. Oh, what's it called? It's called Berryman High. If you look at Berryman the... High. Yeah, uh, I, I know the quality of the video that we definitely didn't watch on YouTube was very poor, <laughs> but uh, it, the high school is clearly not called Sunnydale yet. <laughs> is it the original high school? Is it like the high school, act- the actual nope. name? No, it's just just they made up a, like Benny Mill High School. Okay, um, just like in the air, Darla is leading some poor schmuck, <laughs> some horny schmuck into the school and she eats him. But interestingly enough, they go into an auditorium where the high school stage play of Nesferatu will be playing. Yeah, it's it's a lot more extended, this sequence. So in the um, aired version, they're just going down an empty corridor. Like they break in through the window and then they go into the corridor and they're talking. And um, like the guy doesn't play any of the tricks with like opening the trap door and she almost falls in and pretends to be scared, that kind of thing. So they definitely cut down it's interesting because this is the shorter episode but they definitely took this sequence and cut it down when they were producing it for the new one and then after this we get the buffy the vampire slayer slogan or like uh title but it's we don't get the credits but um the font is different (laughs) they upgraded the font for the aired version that we see now this font looks a lot more juvenile i would say Okay, so we're at Sunnydale. Oh, we're not at Sunnydale. We're at Bennyville or whatever you said it was. Berryman High. Berryman High doesn't have the same ring to it. Buffy is sporting brown hair, which I think Sarah Michelle Gellar might be a natural brunette. I I can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure she is. And she's blowing bubblegum. She arrives at school. Uh, Kara, no choice? (laughs) Like, no wonder this unaired pilot is garbage. Where Where is <laughs> Joyce? Where's the fight, the mother-daughter fight, before they get out of the car? None of the books on tape references. Like, Ugh. yeah, we're really missing out here. I know, this is, it's really lacking. So Buffy does talk to an adult, and it's Principal Flutie. But this is not the Principal Flutie that we know that got eaten by hyenas. <laughs> uh, rest in peace. This is a different actor. It's Stephen Tobolowski. From 
Well, I remember him most from Groundhog Day, which is a shame. I know he's in other things. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm like young. I'm a millennial. Um, but he's a well-regarded comedic actor. You wouldn't know it in this scene because he is very robotic to me. But he, I think he, he's meant to be that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I feel like the Flutie that we do meet in the aired version is a lot more approachable. I don't know. They, so obviously they recast the, this guy. The problem here is he's so tall compared to Sarah Michelle Gellar, <laughs> whom like I I know Sarah Michelle Gellar is a shorty to begin with, but like he's so tall, the height difference here is incredible. Yes. Um, and he calls Buffy Bunny, <laughs> and he calls her Betty. And I like that he called her Bunny because that's a shout out to me to Gingerbread when we meet Sheila Rosenberg, who ca- also called Buffy Bunny at that point. I mean, maybe maybe Joss Whedon was recycling the joke. Yeah, he, I think he recycles a couple things in here, or not recycles, but like there's little hints to like well, later he, in the he, show. Well, he he keeps the best zingers from this pilot for the aired version, yeah. um, like. A, lo- a lot of the dialogue in, in this version, a lot of the scenes themselves are very different just because they had a bigger budget for like production and stuff. But um, some of the dialogue is different, but a lot of the one-liners are the same. They're just worked in slightly differently. And uh, Buffy does confirm in this scene with Flutie that she was expelled in her old school, thus is um, tying us to the movie. And then we cut to campus where Willow is approached by Xander, who needs help with his maths. And most notably, I think everybody remembers this if they ever heard or watched the unaired pilot, is that Willow is not played by our sweet Alison Hannigan. She was originally played by a, an actress called... Uh, Riff Regan. R- Riff Regan. What an interesting name, Riff. I've literally never heard of that name before. It's like the Warren to me <laughs> that Warren was to everybody in season five. Uh, but yeah, so this is, the, we've talked about her before. Um, I believe in Halloween season two, we talked about Willow and body shaming and all that stuff. We brought up the original Willow because she's clearly a larger woman and they've dressed her up to be more on the dumpy side because she has to look like a wallflower and awkward and shy. She looks like a much more like 90s version, if that makes sense. I, I know, I obviously know that the aired version of season one was also in the, the late 90s, but like <sighs> Allison Hannigan's Willow looks a lot younger than Allison Hannigan or any of the other actors are, right? Whereas like, Riff Regan's Willow and a lot of the other characters as they're costumed in this version, they look like the older actors playing <laughs> teens kind of vibe that we got from most high school shows in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the aesthetic has obviously not landed yet for the show. But again, this is just a little preview. It's a little glimpse. Cordelia shows up. Cordelia looks amazing. Uh, she looks great. She obviously is bullying because that's who she is at the beginning of the, of the series. She bullies Willow, but the difference here is that w- Buffy is not there to witness it. <laughs> she it's just it's just Willow getting bullied on her own. I will note here that the Cordettes are with her, and amazingly, it's Harmony. Like Harmony is there. Mm-hmm. So Har- Harmony is not in Welcome to the Hellmouth. Yeah, she does show up starting the Harvest, so the next episode, which is like because the 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 first two episodes are kind of back to back, right? Because the Welcome to the Hellmouth ends on a cliffhanger. But yeah, initially Harmony's not in the very first episode. So one one of the fun facts that um, a couple of places on the internet have pointed out is that 
Mercedes McNabb is, I think, the only character to basically, she spans the entire run of the Buffyverse because she was in the unaired pilot as Harmony. And then she's in the very final episode of Angel, which Buffy's not in. So it's like, Harmony is the longest running <laughs> recurring character. Harmony's the OG. She's the one. What a, I am so happy. Like, you know, good for her. Love that for her. Uh, I wanted to point out two things here. So yeah, Harmony is one of the Cordettes, uh, obviously. The other one is the Asian girl from The Wish. And she was in this unaired pilot. Um, Nicole Bilderback is in the house and I'm happy to see her because we only see her one more time after that. But hey, we got to get that Asian repre- representation and spoiler alert, she survives to the end of the episode. So good for her. Joss Whedon clearly was like, once I have enough money, I'm going to change that. Oh yeah, he's like, don't you worry, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get her eventually. Um, that was one thing. The other thing I wanted to point out was that they mentioned Dingo's Ate My Baby uh, for, is playing at the bronze and Dingo's Ate My Baby is obviously Oz's band. So we don't hear about Dingo's Ate My Baby or the band until season two, but that's another little like um, dangly surprise that I saw in there. I was like, wow, look at things that were to come later on. So just like season one and two, Xander approaches Cordelia right there and he starts a fight and <laughs> sets himself up to be bullied by her. <laughs> Remember we got so mad at him in season one and two? for that we were like xander i know that cordelia just busted your balls but you walked into that <laughs> like you sought it out so same thing happens here uh cordelia does a great job of bullying him that's when buffy walks right into xander because she's such a klutz because <laughs> sometimes buffy just just does that um she's very friendly with him right and she's like where's the library he points her there she's like i'm buffy i'm new and she leaves and xander um says new and improved and then he finds her stake so lots of interesting differences here between mm-hmm. this version and the one we actually saw in the aired version welcome to the Hellmouth." buffy approaches willow after she observes willow being bullied by cordelia buffy's the one who approaches willow and asks for tutoring uh, so the whole Xander-Willow interaction never happens here. And then, of course, the other notable difference. Uh, so Buffy and Xander bump into each other in the hallway. And then he points out uh, he does, she's not looking for the library yet at that point. Uh, but also, completely absent in this version of the story, Jesse. Yes. Jesse was in this, or, or what would have been this scene earlier, um, yeah. And so Xander gets a lot of the flack from Cordelia that Jesse was getting in the original or the, the aired version. Yes. Joss Whedon also cleared that up. He's like, we can't have myself being bullied too hard by her. <laughs> the interaction between Xander and Willow in this scene is very different. Um, I don't want to go. I don't want to be too harsh on Riff Regan uh, because I don't think that she's bad at playing Willow. She's just she's playing a very different Willow from the one that we came to know over seven seasons so i think it's it's very easy for us fans to just be like that's not our willow but like she's a lot her her delivery of the dialogue here is much more stilted um and her interaction like there's not as much chemistry between her and nicholas brennan like she's like what's in it for me and he's like a big shiny nickel she's like okay and it's like she's trying to be coquettish almost but it's not it's not coming off that way it's coming off as like i'm reading my lines from a script look i don't want to rag on riff regan 
rag on Riffrigan. <laughs> That's hard to say. I don't want to rag on her either. All right. She's doing what she's got to do. I find her bland. I do. I understand the recasting in this case. I, I yeah. don't. I know some people are like, oh, they recasted her because she's bigger. I don't think that's the... I mean, I, I don't know. Well, I, don't I, know. I think that's part of it. I do. I agree. I think that's part of it. But um, just based on what I've seen in this 25-minute short, she's not interesting. I don't, I don't think she understood the assignment as well as many of the other actors here. Yeah. She's not jumping off the screen the way Alison Hannigan does, right? So that's... It makes sense. So anyway, uh, Buffy goes to the library, right? And it's not the beloved library that we've come to know and love it is the actual library from the school i believe and it's actually quite nice still like it's still a nice library giles creeps up on her from behind <laughs> and this scene from my memory plays out pretty similar to the aired pilot correct yeah and then um i'm glad to see that the vampire <laughs> book survived the reshoot <laughs> oh, you can bet Joss Whedon was taking that home every day from the set and sleeping with it under his pillow. <laughs> Just for inspiration, for hope, his dreams. Um, so Buffy is sad in class. There's a little montage of Buffy being bored and sad in class, not paying attention. Willow is then introduces herself to her at the end of class and offers help to her. Well, well so specifically, she's like the, the history teacher told Willow to help Buffy. Ooh. Um, and... and so already we're seeing one of the biggest differences between Sunnydale High versus Berryman High is that Berryman High, the teachers actually give a shit. It's true. They're like, wow, there's a new student. Let's help her out. <laughs> um, so the, the girls are walking through the halls, getting to know each other, talking about their outfits. The combo, just like in the aired pilot, turns to Giles, right? Buffy's like, what's his deal? Cordelia and the Cordettes approach Buffy and they just like lead her away. Like... <laughs> They're just like, come with us away from her. And Buffy just goes with them. We cut to the two girls in the locker room talking shit about Buffy. And the one girl finds the body of the guy from the beginning in her locker. Outside, again, we see Xander approach Buffy with her stake, right? And he points out, okay, Kara, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this right now. He points out <laughs> the different groups of students on campus, right? And did you catch this, Kara? Because he, the first group of people he points out are called the Housers, and he says they're genuine hardcore gangsters, except for the upper class white guy stigma. And I was like, Kara, these are the white boy gangs that you and I have been talking about since season three. And it turns out it wasn't just, we, you and I weren't just making jokes. It's canon. Like, they, those are white boy gangs that are roaming yeah, this, the streets this is of a very, This is a very Mean Girls style sequence. For anybody who hasn't seen this, but has seen, obviously, Mean Girls was made much later than this. But, you know, it's basically the walking through the cafeteria explaining the different cliques moment. Um, I'm not sure what the Housers thing is a reference to. Me either. So somebody could explain that. Yeah, but... White boy gangs. Like, it's, yeah. it's confirmed. <laughs> uh, so that's that. And then he also says, like, I think it was Topanga inbreeds is what I heard. Yeah. So that that is obviously a reference to Topanga Valley, right? The canyon oh. where in, in California, which would be like very like hippy dippy, like surfer culture. I didn't know. That's what Topanga was from. I'm thinking Boy Meets World because the main character's well, name was Topanga. That's why her name is Topanga. Because her parents named her after that place. <gasps> and that's why she's so spacey? Yes. Oh, my God. Because her parents God. were flower children. Oh, my God. 
Okay, We're learning well, so much today, Steph. I, my brain is like, <laughs> like my brain just exploded. Wow, <laughs> this is the greatest unaired pilot of all time. <laughs> they also point out theater club, film club, which would be more or less the same, and um, the no, dirty no, 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 girls. No. Steph, I can't. Sorry, I cannot let that comment pass. I I apologize <laughs> to all of our listeners who are either theater kids or film kids. Theater club is about performance, as Buffy and Xander demonstrate. Theater club is all about expressing yourself. Film club is about being sad and alone in a room as you think about what you've just watched. Mm, thank you for clarifying that. You're right, because I'm much more theater club than I am film club. Um, but can we talk about... So, 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 we know that the Housers exist, white boy gangs. Then we get the Dirty Girls. Oh, which is, I hate that name. Why, well, I know it's really terrible, but they, they're the stinky weed smokers. Oh, is that what they were supposed to be? I thought they just had poor hygiene. No, I was under the impression that they were stoners. Um, but that is our little call to Joyce. Sweet Joyce. Another little crystal ball into the future of what the show will be. Willow comes up and tells the the Buffy and Xander about the body in the women's locker room. Cordelia just shows up with her friends and says, yeah, <laughs> they're dead, way dead. And Buffy takes off. So this K-car, this, this part blew my mind. So she runs into Flutie, right? Who calls her Bambi, Betty, and Wilma. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm here for you. I know this usually doesn't happen. I don't I don't usually allow dead bodies to be on campus. And then he, he says- He has a policy against that. <laughs> and then he says, um, I'm here for you, anything you need. And Buffy says, can I look at the body? And he lets I know, her. This is, I wish they'd kept this in. So like, yeah, in, in the aired version, of course- None of this happens. We don't see Flutie again. Buffy just goes to the locker room on her own um, recognizance and breaks the door handle with her super slayer strength. So I like this exchange. I think it's hilarious. (laughs) Yep, go ahead. So she goes and looks, sees the bike mark, says, oh, great. Then she storms into the library. And there's an what I like about this library car is that there is this like beautiful staircase and balcony. You know, the, the staircase isn't as impressive in the aired pilot version. But Giles and Buffy have a very similar conversation from the aired pilot um, about, as we all know, like her being a slayer, her not wanting to be a slayer, what she has to give up for it. This part made me laugh because Giles says, you cannot escape your destiny. And Buffy says, want to bet? And then she does a flip de do off the balcony. <gasps> I was so excited when I watched this because I hadn't realized you hadn't watched this. I thought you had already watched it. And so I was messaging you. And I I intentionally, once I figured out you hadn't watched it, I didn't mention this part. I wanted it to be a surprise for you, Steph. (laughs) It's Buffy's very first flip-de-doo. And I had to rewind it to be like, did she really just? And she she sure did. Um, she just went for it. She's like, I'm not a slayer. Flip. <laughs> Flies to the bottom of the library floor. Um, and then Giles does his whole, um, you know, you are the slayer, uh, the chosen one. He does this whole speech that we all know. One well. girl in all the world. And I, I love it because Buffy interrupts him before, like in the last one, she says, yada, yada, yada. Like she cuts him off. But in this one, she cuts him off first and she says, wow, you're going to do the whole speech and everything. And then he keeps going. And then that kind of plays out the same. There, yeah, there's a lot more exposition here because yeah. in the aired version, Welcome to the Hellmouth, after the credits, but before we get to high school, there is a scene of Buffy having a prophecy dream in her bedroom. And then she wakes up and they get ready for high school. Um, and that scene kind of also helps establish Buffy's character as the Slayer. 
So here in this scene, Giles is giving us a little bit more exposition than we get in the broadcast version because they've had to squeeze everything into 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And um, Buffy is saying the same thing she's always said, right? Like, I just, I don't want to be a slayer. I want to be like everybody else, like anybody else I mean to be. Uh, Xander is caught eavesdropping again, but it's it's revealed at the beginning of the, uh, sorry, it's revealed in the middle of the scene, not at the very end. Like, ooh, he heard. Um, so he eavesdropped the whole time that we saw. Cut to the bronze. We don't get to go inside the giant warehouse full of cockroaches. We do see the outside of it. And little guy Jonathan has also made it into the unaired pilot. Um, he's got glasses on. He's dressed much cooler. <laughs> yeah. And he's... When Buffy asks, or sorry, he asks Buffy if she's new. And she says yes. But I, it feels like he's almost heard that she's being deemed uncool because then he's just he just kind of like turns away from her. Which is so funny because we know what happens to Jonathan, you know, in, in the series. So having him just be like this random spectator <laughs> is interesting. Uh, and I also want to point out that Buffy is wearing a pretty normal outfit to wear to the to the underage club. I don't like her hair, though. Yeah, like the ponytail? No, it just it looks very stringy. Like okay. the... The little curtain bang thing she's got going on. I don't know. I just clearly the uh, the hairstyling was one of the things that they skimped out on with their limited budget. I'm just impressed that she's not wearing her interview outfit. You know, like she's <laughs> gonna dress like an actual teenager. Well, yeah, we miss we missed the whole scene where she's like, "Hi, I'm a massive slut. I, you know, I'm a not I'm a nice nun comparison, or whatever." <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, and then Joyce intervening right and being like, "Will there be boys there?" Like we missed that whole sequence again. Yeah. It's you know. Joss Whedon did a good job of padding I don't want to say padding out but like he fleshed out the Buffy verse very effectively once he had more runtime more budget to play with yes I agree so Xander shows up out of nowhere right and he's just like how's your day at school normal and Buffy's like it's normal or whatever and we know that Xander's on to her then she asks where Willow is and Xander says she left campus with some guy <laughs> And Buffy's like, okay, like, what did he look like? And Xander said he looked pale and like a Lionel Richie and Buffy runs off. So this is completely different from Welcome to Hellmouth because in that version, Buffy ends up in the inside the bronze with Willow. They have a wonderful conversation where Buffy is just like, see the day, Willow. And then Buffy goes off to talk to Giles and they have a, an extended conversation about her destiny. And he's like, oh, you can't identify vampires and you should be able to. So she picks a vampire out from the crowd who ends up chatting up Willow because Willow is seizing the day. And, that, and then Buffy has to like run out and fight the vampire behind the bronze, right? So like it's yeah. the complete detour now from what actually ends up happening in the aired version. Yeah, and it's so smart of them to have done it um, in the aired version. Like, Joss Whedon, you know, as much as we shit on him, he's a good writer. And he made it so that Buffy and Willow's friendship is more formed by the time that Willow takes off. And also that it's kind of Buffy's fault. Not not really her fault, but she is the one that tells Willow to seize the day, She's the one, which is why Willow takes the guy out mm -hmm. right so buffy feels responsible for her which is another good reason to get her to go after her yeah in this one xander again like xander is uh he's remarkably unconcerned and i get that part of that is just his big xander white boy energy whereas like the moment buffy's like oh she went off with a strange guy alarm bells but also like in in the aired version we get the exposition that xander and willow have been close friends since they were kids. And yeah. we don't have that connection here. And so Xander 
So it's just like, yeah, sometimes Willow goes with guys. Sometimes she does it. Today she's being a slut. It's like, okay, well, okay, dude. It, I mean, at the end of this, I kind of want to talk a little bit about Xander's character in this. But mm, um, Xander. Ooh. But we, we cut to Willow in the auditorium with the vampire. And it's like a super awkward scene. I do buy this more, though. In this in this case that like you know Willow would allow this guy to take her to the auditorium because remember in the pilot she he's like let's take a shortcut through the cemetery and she's like okay <laughs> and I, I remember um, at the time when we watched that I was like Willow what <laughs> that is such a red flag so Buffy is now on campus how Buffy knew to go to campus I'm not sure unless the bronze we're supposed to assume the bronze is on campus too somewhere I don't know no well he says that. She was leaving campus with some guy. Willow was leaving campus. So I guess Buffy's like, well, I got to start here and see if I can find Willow from here. And sniff her out <laughs> like a hound dog. Um, anyway, she shows up and Xander pulls an Owen and ran up behind her <laughs> and followed her there. And he reveals that he knows about the vampires and then they hear Willow scream. So Buffy barges into the auditorium and the vampire's actually feeding on Willow. Like he actually bit her, which is like, whoa. Um, she says, get your hands off her. And he's like, ooh, seconds. And Buffy is very snarky in this scene, right? She snarks his outfit and then she charges at him. And she says, a vampire all alone at night? It just isn't safe. He's like, you're wrong. I'm not alone. And there are two other vampires there with him and they all start fighting. And the, honestly, the fight scene's not that bad. I think it's pretty good compared to the other fight scenes in season one. Yeah, it's fine. And Buffy says at one point, oh, that was my favorite spine. And I laughed because I thought that was a good one. And then she tells Xander to get Willow out and she manages to stake one vampire. And this the dusting of this vampire took my entire life. Like It's the slowest dust I've ever seen scene i'm glad they do the exploding dust well later. They, they don't have the special effects budget right so <laughs> yeah he's like slowly disintegrated <laughs> um will and xander are backstage and darla's there she attacks xander darla is trying to bite him and willow finds the cross in buffy's purse and puts it on darla's face but we don't see this all we hear is her screaming and smoke coming up so we can assume that willow just killed darla Right there, which is very interesting. Exactly as it happened in Welcome to the Hellmouth. Mm -hmm. Nothing changed there. <laughs> One of the vampires now is asking Buffy who she is. And she says, I'm the Slayer. And the vampire is like, a Slayer? And he runs away. Okay, Bakara, this made me lol. Yes. This made me lol. So Buffy, so so the vampire is running away, and the vampire that bit Willow is like, hey, wait. And the other vampire says, I'll call you. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'll call you. So Buffy says, time to face facts. You run out of time, you run out of friends, and no one likes your outfit. So Xander and Willow come around the corner just as Buffy and the vampire fly from the balcony, I guess, up top into the pit where the instruments are. And uh, they, you hear banging and clashing, and then the vampire jumps out of the pit and he says to Xander and Willow, uh, your friend can't help you now. But then somebody pulls him back into the pit and he says, hold that thought. <laughs> and then more bangs and booms and it Buffy emerges triumphant from the pit and the three of them sit together and Willow apologizes to Buffy and Buffy says, it's okay. It's like, it's kind of a destiny thing. And Xander says, uh, asks what a vampire slayer does. Har, har, har. Music plays. We're in the final shot of the 
episode. Uh, it's the next morning. A student is hammering a Nesferatu production sign on the board. And Cordelia and Harmony and the Asian are <laughs> scoffing at Buffy because she's talking to Giles Alexander like a loser. Giles is berating Buffy because he's not impressed with her fighting style. Xander and Willow are defending her, and Giles is also upset that Buffy revealed herself to them and that she let another one get away. And Buffy says, Are you sure you're wearing enough? We might get a cloud today. <laughs> and I laughed at that, because snark. Um, and Giles says, The fate of the world may well be in the hands of this teen thing. And Buffy says, Relax, the world's in beauty hands. Trust me! And then she throws her stake across the quad and it hits the heart of Nesferatu on the poster and grunge music plays the end. What a trip. <laughs> I enjoyed it, honestly. I, like, yes. I, I enjoyed it too. It's, it's way more campy and cheesy. Actually, it's not dissimilar from the movie in terms no, of like... You're absolutely right. Yeah, that yeah. was going to be one of my observations is... You can really see the genesis here where Joss Whedon is trying to figure out how the show is going to differ from the movie. Because as we discussed back in our bonus episode where we reviewed the 1992 movie, the, the Kazooies who produced the movie really basically pushed Joss Whedon to make the movie a campier, lighter, funnier you know, summer blockbuster movie rather than kind of the darker horror movie that he was going for. And you can see how in the TV series, right, things start off on the lighter side. And then as the seasons go on, they do get darker and more serious um, because that was kind of his milieu. Um, so in this version, right, you can see that he he's still trying to figure out, like, who are my characters in a world that he wants that humor, he wants the banter, but he also wants it to be a little bit darker. And um, it's interesting having this little piece, this little linking piece between the two. Yeah, I agree. And I actually enjoyed that part of it. I'm like, okay, look at them try to work it out, like try to make sense of what the movie and what the show and how they're going to differ from each other. I will say, though, like I said, I enjoyed this little 25-minute presentation. As I said at the beginning, this is supposed to be a glimpse into what the show could be. And I think it did a good job when you think of it that way because we do meet the main characters, except for my precious angel, we get the gist of what the show is going to be about, right? And there's that essence of horror and humor and high school is hell metaphor. It's all in there. So I, I think it's not bad. You know what I mean? Like if you were a fan of the show, you would probably enjoy watching this on Air Pilot. Sure. Um, I'm going to be a little harsher. Mm -hmm. I think we are so incredibly lucky that Buffy the Vampire Slayer got picked up and produced. I don't know. This is like, again, I don't know too much of the history around the production of this pilot. I understand that they have a limited budget. I'm not here to criticize the production values themselves. Obviously, they're not going to be as good as a TV show that's been, you know, picked up for 12 episodes. But like the this as a pilot, it, it is very rushed. Yeah, I just I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at I'm trying to look at this as a network executive. And it's so interesting to me that it got picked up. And I think it just, what I'm trying to say is, this is just another example of how so much of what we enjoy about entertainment is a happy accident. It's somebody was in the right place at the right time to say yes to somebody else. And that's how you end up with these cult classics and these beloved hit shows. It's not necessarily 
about merit. And it's not even necessarily about, you know, being a Nepo baby or anything. It's about, you know, somebody takes a chance. Yeah. And I think I think that's valid. I think for me, it's like, like, I'm talking about the potential here, right? Like, again, the essence of the show, it's all here. Um, It's clunky, it's awkward, it's cheesy, but um, it's the WB that picked it up. And the WB was trying to create a Mm -hmm. audience for itself with teenagers. So I think a show like this definitely would have the potential to get the audience that they wanted, especially if it's given the right leadership and given the right direction, because obviously all the changes that you and I were pointing out while we were watching it made a lot of sense and were better, right? Like Buffy... To me, in the in this version, seems a lot younger. I mean, I, she was technically, but her her character just seems younger than she did in season one to me. Yes. So I think that helps when you're pitching it. It's like, look at she's she is like a grade ten, like somebody who is sixteen yeah. years old. Sarah Michelle Gellar really nails Buffy's character here. Like the way she talks is very similar to how she is in Welcome to the Hellmouth. But I agree with you. Her her voice um, and, and some of her body language is it is a a less sure of herself, Buffy. It, it's a lot closer to the Christy Swanson Christy Swanson version that we get in the movie. Yeah, she almost like maybe Sarah Michelle Gellar was like nervous. Or she something. keeps using the word lush. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so I'm trying to make lush happen. Yeah, but like so, Buffy seems younger to me. Xander seems cooler to me and actually there were the, some of the scenes between Xander and Buffy were, were quite flirty and I actually believed it because there was no hot mysterious angel to distract <laughs> me in this episode so I can see a little bit more chemistry between are, are you telling me that Xander is could possibly be mistaken for angel and that no that without is not angel around you just transfer no, no, your no. attraction to Xander no. is that what you're saying Steph? that's not what I'm saying take <laughs> his name out of your mouth um and what i'm saying is that buffy seems younger and xander seems cooler and more confident therefore it makes like if they wanted to push buffy and xander maybe getting together this version of the characters would make more sense for that right whereas when we get to season one and we're watching all these episodes and then we get the dreamy vampire angel in there there's no way buffy and xander would ever get together no that's that's absolutely fair and i hear what you're saying i think you are making a lot of really good points here about how this does show the potential to attract that audience that the wb wants and therefore why they picked up the the series thinking about like television pilot production in general i'm not an insider in the industry but my understanding these days is that uh, pilot production is very different from what it was like in the 90s. In the 90s, you had a lot more uh, pilots like this, where it was just kind of like a lot of dramatic changes between the pilot and the version that actually was picked up. Um, and these days, I think I think that's less the case, uh, partly because I think um, the production companies and things like the streaming studios are putting a lot more weight into um just producing things up front they're just saying like we're going to commission this we're like we know we're going to commission this uh we're going after this we're adapting ip that kind of thing um this pilot reminds me a lot of the pilot for the original star trek series back in the 1960s because uh, much like this one the pilot for the original star trek series featured was it was completely different from what eventually made it to air in 1966 um 
there was only one character, one actor who was the same between the unaired pilot, The Cage, and the TV series that eventually aired. Um, and other than that, they completely changed up all of the other characters um, because the network basically watched the pilot and they're like, okay, like we can kind of see that there's something here, but it's too slow. It's too cerebral. We, you know, we don't like that you gave a woman that much authority, <laughs> that kind of thing. So they completely changed up. So if you go back and you watch the original pilot, which actually got worked into a bottle episode of a two-parter of the original series, uh, it's so fascinating. Um, and it's actually that crew, for those of you who are vaguely familiar with, with Star Trek but haven't watched the new stuff, that's what the series Star Trek Strange New Worlds is based on. It's that crew. It's a prequel series based on this previous crew of the Enterprise before <laughs> Captain Kirk showed up. Um, but I just, I've seen the parallels here because in the 90s, television production, you, you could make a lot more shots. And yeah, there'd be a lot of misses. There were a lot of series that just were not produced. Um, but you could also make a pilot like this that is so incredibly flawed and still have that chance of being picked up for all the reasons, as you just explained, Steph, where it's like there is that potential there. And again, I don't know if anybody with a bit more experience in the industry wants to kind of write in and give us their thoughts on this. But from my perspective, just as a consumer, it seems like these days there isn't that much diversity. There isn't as much of a chance to kind of mess things up and still get greenlit these days. It's more like the studio is going to come to you and say, this is what we want from you. Produce this for us. And I don't know, I feel like we've lost something as a result. Do you think maybe Joss Whedon had to put this unaired pilot together to convince networks, That's what right? I, Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that this was, he, he wanted to do this. And clearly yeah. there was enough interest at like Fox and stuff. But yeah. I, again, I don't know. And I don't remember anything from Evan Ross, Ross Katz's book about this. But like, my impression would be Fox, there was probably people at Fox who were like, we don't think that you can make this into a successful series. Because yeah, the movie was a flop. Yeah, yeah, the movie was a flop. Joss Whedon himself has writing credits, but he he's still a very much a beginning director. He's still very much a beginning showrunner. Like, we, we, it's easy for us looking back after everything that he's done since Buffy, right? But at the time, he was a less well-known figure. Um and that just goes back to again me saying like we all got lucky you know and because we're all here because we love buffy that's why this podcast exists but just like with star trek right which turned into this incredible franchise that's now uh more than six almost 60 years old everything just had to go right along the way yeah. um everybody had the right people had to say yes at the right time for it to turn into what it is now um and we're so lucky as a result we're lucky that Joss Whedon is a ambitious white man because <laughs> oh, fair. white yes. time, white place. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I, I, I again, I think it's a treat to watch this unaired pilot. Um, I, as I said, Buffy seems younger. Xander seems cooler. Willow is bland and not interesting. 
Giles is sterner to me in this in this version, but Cordelia is on point and has always been on point. Oh yeah, Charisma Carpenter <laughs> read this script and she's like, I know exactly who this character is. Yeah, nailed and it. That, from the that's beginning. how I feel about Allison Hannigan as Willow in Welcome to Hellmouth and the Harvest. You know, as I was saying earlier, um, and I agree with everything you're saying about Riff Regan being bland as Willow. It, it, it isn't the acting itself; it's the fact that I don't think she really understood what kind of character Joss Whedon was going for with the character of Willow. Whereas in Welcome to Hellmouth, when we meet Alison Hannigan, and especially to me, it's that it's the scene in the bronze, which obviously we don't have in this one, but it's the scene in the bronze where she's talking to Buffy. And like you said, that's a great bonding moment that we get in the, in the new version. Oh, oh, and the other scene, the other scene where Buffy is asking Willow for, for tutoring help. Yeah. Both of those scenes, Alison Hannigan, I think, really understands how she's meant to portray Willow as this very, like, smart, but, like, she's so used to just, like, uh, trying to avoid the attention of anybody remotely popular. Yeah. Um, there's a moment in Welcome to the Hellmouth in the bronze scene where Buffy's going to go to talk to Giles. So she excuses herself and she says, I'll be right back. And then Willow's like, you don't have to come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's that little, it's that quippiness there. And I, I know that a lot of that is the writing that Joss Whedon, the lines that Joss Whedon's feeding them. But, you know, Alison Hannigan, Charisma Carpenter, obviously Tony Head gets this character right away. He he obviously has a ton of acting experience compared mm-hmm. to a lot of these other actors. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy. Yeah, I, I think Buffy and Giles to me are the ones who kind of feel the most gelled in their roles at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Z- Xander, like you said, there's some differences here. He's not horny. He's not no, super horny. But, well, he doesn't have Jesse to play off of, right? I, I mm-hmm. think adding Jesse was an inspired choice, not just because they were able to then kill him off. Um, but also because then it's the Xander slash Jesse bro show. And here, Xander's the only dude other than Giles, right? It's like, you know, Xander's a little bit outnumbered here. This is a very female-heavy cast, and um, nothing wrong with that. But it it does kind of put Xander in a different position as a result. And And Xander, again, like, he just seemed more confident and cooler in this version than he does in the aired version. Like, remember when you and I were annoyed with him from the get-go because he was obsessed with Buffy the moment he saw her. Um, mm-hmm. Remember when he bumps into her and he says, can I have you? And he, mm-hmm. he, di- he did a bunch of stuff that you and I were like, shut up. <laughs> In this one, he doesn't, right? He's not just obsessed yeah. with her right away. And at the same time, he's not as dorky. Like, yeah, Cordelia bullied him, but he walked up into that. So I feel like at, for the aired version, the network or Joss Whedon or whoever were like, you're dorkier. Like, you, you have to be more dorky. Well, so I agree with you. But I will say that one thing I like that they changed was I think Xander has a bit more of his own character in the aired version, even if it's a character we don't enjoy. Um, <laughs> you know, because, like, he's the one who, after he overhears that Buffy's the Slayer, and then there's this whole sequence in the library, um, you know, because they have to go rescue Jesse. And Xander's like, how do we kill them? And Buffy's like, you don't. I take care of it. Um, Jesse's my responsibility. And we can I, I want to talk about Buffy's character in a moment here, but um Xander's the one who, of his own initiative, 
goes down into the sewers with nothing but a flashlight to follow Buffy. And we don't see any of that here. Like, yes, he follows her when she's going back to the campus and stuff, and he knows about vampires. But, like, we we don't quite see the fact that... I'm sorry, people. I'm going to compliment Xander here. You know, Xander has some very heroic qualities to him. Unfortunately, they're often squashed <laughs> by his horniness um, and everything else we slander him for. But, you know, that comes across a lot better in the aired version. In this version... Both Xander and Willow are very generic sidekicks who are just there to scream and then do some kind of pratfall comedy, like slapstick, let's put a cross on the vampire's face kind of thing, uh, while Buffy's doing the fun flip de deuce So yeah. I, I liked that in the aired version, they realized they needed to make Xander a little bit more part of the team when it comes to all of this. Yeah, and that's like another thing that they definitely fleshed out. Um, before we get to Buffy, I want to talk a little bit more about Willow because um, I like that she's the one that saves Xander in this version. Mm. Um, she's the one that kills Darla. But one story I remember Joss Whedon saying is that Joss Whedon told the story about when Allison Hannigan auditioned. So they knew they, they were going to go a different direction with Willow. Um, he did compliment Riff and said she did a good job, but like they wanted to go a different way. When... They gave the script to the actresses who were reading for the part, and they had to talk about how when they were a little girl, someone stole their doll, and then some, I think Xander had to step in, and all he got back for her was the head of the doll. So I think every other actress came in there and read that really sad, right? Like, oh, I only got the head back. But Alison Hannigan read it like, oh, I got the head back. Like, she was, like, really excited about that. And I think that's what Joss Whedon was like, yes, like, that's Willow, right? She's just, she would be happy with the scraps of that doll. She's a glass half full kind of girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like, she got that uh, positive innocence that he really wanted that character to represent. So anyway, again, no offense to you, Riff. Um, you just, it just, that wasn't, that's not what Willow was supposed to be, right? She, she, you played it straight. We needed somebody like Allison to come in and give willow that depth and that vulnerability that we were looking for yeah i agree with all of that mm -hmm. um as far as buffy goes you know something that hit me when i was rewatching the harvest is just the way that buffy in that episode she feels that weight of being the slayer pretty much immediately you know it, it it comes out more when we get to the season finale of prophecy girl but like that line has stuck with me when she says jesse is my responsibility you know and, and in that moment, Sarah Michelle Gellar is really showing us that Buffy is a hero and that she um, understands that as much as she doesn't want to be the Slayer, she is and she has to deal with this problem. And in the pilot here, because we don't have that kind of connection, because it's more of just like, a, oh, hey, there's vampires. And, you know, it's like an infestation. Um, we get the quippy side of Buffy. That part comes out really well. Mm -hmm. But we don't see her reluctant shouldering of the hero's burden as much in this version which again i know it's hard for for that to come across in the 25 minutes but it, it's something that i think that the show is much richer for having been able to expand on that in the first two episodes yeah i agree and overall like when you watch the aired pilot all of the like you said earlier all of the ways that they expanded the episode to fill in well, these areas even just working in the season arc and the big bad of the master and luke and the harvest right like none of that is present mm -hmm. here and i don't know if 
Joss Whedon had that all figured out already when he was writing and, and shooting this pilot, or if he was just if he came up with that after the show got picked up and he's like, okay, I need a, a better storyline here. But like, this pilot is very is a, it's a very simple. Buffy shows up at school. There are vampires. Buffy kills the vampires. The end. And it works well for a twenty-five minute pilot. I, I think if they tried to squeeze the master in here, it would have felt too similar to the movie and cheesy given the amount of time involved but uh also they probably just couldn't afford all the candles they needed for that set (laughs) (laughs) it's true they're like we only have so much budget um i did read somewhere that they did film the scene with angel like she was always going to meet him and he'd be mysterious or whatever but it didn't make it into this version that's what i read online and i was like where is a but that is what's missing david boreanaz in the first two episodes like if you go back and you watch those stuff he's so young oh i know and he's like he's such a proto angel you know he hasn't really (laughs) hit his stride yet and it's it's compared to what we're seeing now right it's just it's so different and (laughs) Uh, TV series production, like it is a trip. Uh, We're so lucky. I, I'm sorry. I just I keep bringing it back to that because I just feel so much gratitude for this show. You know, watching this pilot and then watching the two ver- the the two episodes that made it to air, it just really grounded me as we go into season six, which is let's face it, a troubling season, regardless of what's opinion. A doozy. It's a doozy. Yeah, of it's a, a season. troubling season. Yeah. Um, and there, there is a part of me that's worried when we review season six and seven, we're not going to enjoy ourselves as much. We might be a little harsher on the show. I, I, you know, some of our listeners might think we're not enjoying Buffy, which is not true. But, you know, I, there, there's a charm to seasons one and two that because the show is still figuring out what it is and it's still having a lot of fun with itself in a way that the later seasons uh, sometimes lose sight of, I think, you know, I just, I also feel this gratitude. I'm watching this pilot and then I'm watching these other two episodes and I'm like, I am really happy that I live in a universe where we got Buffy and it's it's the Buffy we have, right? And not a different version. I'm really grateful that the network or whoever came in there and they did give notes, right? Like we need this, this, and this. We need a Joyce. We need a hunky love interest. Uh, We need more plot. Um... All the notes that they made to make to go from this unaired version to the version that we know as Welcome to the Hellmouth were great notes. And I think that was a, that's a great pilot, you know, the one that we watch. I think it's it's good. So it's nice to see the differences here. It speaks to the agonistic process that is, you know, TV production. And rewriting. Yeah, we, we like to always talk about the network, you know, uh, executive meddling. And the bad guys, you know, as, as if they're making our shows worse. And that's certainly the case, as we see with, like, Willow and Tara not being allowed to kiss and be affectionate lesbians on screen. But at the same time, you know, th- there are definitely examples where executive meddling makes a show better because they rein in creators. Um, and having things like budget constraints, yeah, it can suck sometimes and, and make, you know, for weird special effects or fewer costumes. But, like... There's also something to be said for not being able to do everything you want exactly as you envision it. Um, That's how you get Game of Thrones season six to eight, right? Where the creators were basically given a bucket full of money by HBO and said, go make the show. And there was like no oversight. 
and th- so that they would b- they basically did whatever the hell they wanted and it's not good oh a hot stake on game of thrones interesting <laughs> i don't th- i don't think that's a controversial opinion Steph. i don't know i heard that season six is one of the best seasons of game of thrones i don't watch game of thrones so that's that's i i watched season one and then the last season and i was like wow a lot's changed <laughs> that's, that's, that's my oh, game God. of thrones journey now that's a podcast <laughs> episode right there <laughs> let's do that uh, any other thoughts on the unaired pilot of buffy the vampire slayer this shows nothing without joyce and angel <laughs> there that's, that's... word <laughs> no 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 as i said before i think this is a glimpse and it's a nice glimpse it's it's the essence is here and it's nice to watch that uh, glad the show ended up as you're saying the way we know it now the way we love it now um really glad that we watched this before entering season six yeah, what a joy. Everyone, don't go on YouTube to watch it. It's certainly not there for free. <laughs> so wherever you Joss can Whedon find it. Joss Whedon has repeatedly said he never wants this, uh, you know, formally released. So you <laughs> yeah. definitely listen to would him it, you definitely yeah you definitely shouldn't watch it because that would make him very unhappy to know yes. that more people are consuming this. His 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 bad directing should definitely not be something we all view <laughs> and, and, and critique thanks ah. everybody for listening to this bonus episode i think we're gonna have one more before we dive headfirst into the new season uh yay we are enjoying our break though um it's it was much needed <laughs> but we're excited to get back into it i feel like we're getting back into the rhythm like this was a good kind of yeah, dry run of recapping and yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm ex- i am i am so excited for season six like again i know it's gonna have its issues but i think you and i we're gonna like we're gonna have a good time we've got this we've got <laughs> it and i also want to <laughs> add about season six so many people have come out in my comments on tiktok to say that they love season six, their favorite season. And I'm like, oh, Well, they should listen to the podcast then. Well, I know. I'm like, well, have I got a podcast for you? But (laughs) but, um, I will add right before, because we're not going to talk about this before we get into it, but um, I have always historically not liked season six because it was always just dark and I I was just, I didn't vibe with it. But now that I'm older and I've had some life experience, I'm actually looking forward to getting into it and seeing if I if it changes my mind. Like maybe I'll actually really adore season six at the end of this. Excellent. All right, let's thank <sighs> our hot. Let's thank our hot stakes. Let's thank our hot stakes that are not present. Uh, let's thank our chosen ones as always. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, Luis, Joshua, Reese, and Susanna. Emma, Kyle, Destiny, Erica. Allison, Jace, Haley, Tasha, and Ricky. Thanks, everybody. We will see you very soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week